Welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast where two licensed professional counselors and approved EMDR consultants discuss the latest research and resources for trauma treatment and EMDR therapy. Welcome back to Notice That. So before we jump into our episode today, we wanted to share with you guys something that both Jen and I are really excited about uh, announcing. You may have seen it on social media already, but we wanted to talk about it here too. We are now offering three to five day individual and group therapy retreats that are heavily focused on EMDR therapy and body work. They can include yoga, massage therapy, craniosacral therapy, neurofeedback, art, music, and more, all while being immersed in an incredibly healing and therapeutic environment. You're provided three meals a day that are designed to heal and nourish your body. Um, you can find more details about this experience on our website, which is beyondhealingcenter.com, or you can email us with questions at therapy at beyondhealingcenter.com. So guys, we're currently taking reservations for a group retreat that will be January 24th through January 26th. This would be a great way to start out your year 2020 to get yourself set up for a lot of growth and development throughout the year. It may be something that one of your clients is needing to get past a stuck point in the work that they're doing with you, or you might want to consider it as a holiday gift for yourself. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, we just wanted to share this with you guys and say, please come join us. Uh, First of all, we would love to meet you, but also this has been such a incredible journey for us to figure out how to offer this kind of um, program and we're ready to launch. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So our episode for today is one of my favorite topics. Um, It's kind of my thing, um, partly because of personal experience with it and partly because this is the kind of client that I work with a lot. Today, we're going to be talking about dissociation and why dissociation is such a big deal when we're trying to do EMDR with our clients. Um, the first thing to know is that when someone is dissociated, it's really pretty unlikely that they are actually going to be reprocessing through EMDR. And so it's kind of the thing that we always have to monitor and plan for if we're going to be doing trauma reprocessing phases uh, with our clients. It's incredibly, incredibly important to manage it. So one of the first things that we want to talk about is the window of tolerance, which hopefully is a concept that all of you guys were taught in your initial training. Um, It is in most initial trainings, but just as a brief reminder of what it is, it's this idea that in order for our clients to be effectively reprocessing, we have to keep them at an optimum level of arousal. And if they're going over that window, being overactivated, uh, we're going to see that as um, panic, high anxiety, and they're not managing the processing experience well, and we're going to have to do something to regulate them. On the other hand, they can get under the window, which is under activation. And when they're under the window, that means they're not accessing the emotion, the sensation, the affect of whatever we're working on well enough to really reprocess it. So in order for us to be um, processing well, we need to keep them within that window of tolerance at that optimum level. And when we're thinking about dissociation, this idea of the window of tolerance gets really, really relevant. If people have a habit and a pattern of dissociating, if it's one of the ways that they've learned to cope with their trauma, then when we try to do trauma reprocessing work with them, if we don't have a plan for how we're going to manage it and their anxiety gets high, they will likely dissociate at that point. 
And when they do that, when they're over their window and they cope by dissociating, we're no longer going to be able to process well. I like to think of it like we go out the top of the window and their coping skill means that it plunges them under the window. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they get under aroused, under activated and very dissociated. And then we have to spend our time working to get them back into that window um, and grounded again in this present moment. Um, one of my favorite you know, phrases that I keep in mind a lot when I'm thinking about EMDR and association is EMDR associates and dissociation is exactly the opposite of that, which means when we are applying this tool that associates material, we are literally undoing their basic coping mechanism, the defense system that they've created. And so if we are going to be undoing their defense system in such a direct way, there has got to be a plan for what we're going to put in place instead. Um, And that's just good and important uh, things to keep in mind when we're doing therapy with this population. I want to mention with that window of tolerance, this is something that I would say should be a conversation with most of your clients in preparation, teaching them the window of tolerance and what to expect Mm -hmm. um, on each side of that. So if they are understimulated, what does that look like for them and helping them identify what that feels like, what that looks like on into when they're in there you know, prime level of activation on into overactivation. And so with kids, adults, all alike, having this be part of your preparation so that when they get into that point of reprocessing, if they get overactivated or overstimulated, they have the language to explain that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can even maybe point out or recognize some of their body language, some of their um, behavioral responses to know where they're at with that. I also like to teach clients um, a certain gesture or nonverbal indication when they've exceeded it because sometimes once they're overactivated, they can't find the words to tell you. So that prefrontal cortex starts to shut down and they're not able to talk through that and explain with a lot of logic and reason what's happening. And so if they have some type of signal that they can give you to let you know, you know, I'm shutting down, sometimes they even don't have words to explain anything. And so giving some kind of stop signal, which we talk about, or any other type of signal that lets you know that they've exceeded that window can be helpful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, hopefully our, our goal is with this population that we don't get to that point. If that is happening regularly for someone that they're needing to use that stop signal and we're you know having to you know stop what we're doing and reground them, that's probably a signal that we need to move back into a more extended preparation phase because they're not tolerating mm-hmm. the work we're doing very well. We might need to pace the session yeah, differently. Exactly. Um, and it can be a little bit hard to know for sure if somebody is highly dissociative. Um, I will say that I've diagnosed more dissociative disorders doing EMDR than ever yeah, before. Same here. Because it really highlights whatever their, their methods of coping are and their defense strategies. And so we see those front and center when we're approaching um, doing trauma reprocessing. So if we know that someone has a history of dissociating or if we have just kind of a pretty good hunch that they do, I go ahead and do extended preparation with all of them. Mm-hmm. It's certainly not going to hurt them. And we have really good clinical justification to take that extra time with them and make sure that they're going to be able to tolerate what we're about to do. So in that extended preparation time, we're going to be focused on doing things like building skills for grounding 
and um, just doing some basic education about what in the world association is. There's a lot of shame, I think, that comes with that label and clients who may not know that's what's happening or they do know. I've had several clients who know that's what's happening but don't want to say it. Mm -hmm. They don't want to admit to it. And so even just demystifying dissociation and helping to remove the shame around it, really normalizing the experience for them and for other people, um, and kind of highlighting and honoring its place in their survival. Yeah. And the fact that it's helped them to survive what they've gotten through. And so it's served a really great purpose, but that at some point maybe it's become unhelpful to them or it's preventing them from being able to access the material and process the the trauma they're wanting to work on. Mm -hmm. That's a really good point, Jen. Something that I tell clients a lot is that we actually don't want to remove their ability to dissociate because it's been really helpful and it's Mm -hmm. worked really well. So it's not about stopping that, but it's about putting it back under their control because for a lot of these people, it's happening without their consent. It's happening at times that they really don't want it to happen. Um, and it's happening in ways that are causing them problems. And so dissociation is not the problem. It's the lack of control and awareness. And so when we're working with our clients, that's the first thing we want to do is start to build awareness around them, around it, help them uh, feel like they understand what their personal signs and symptoms of dissociation are, how that feels to them and in their body, because it can be a little different for different people. So we're going to have those conversations with them. And once we feel like we've given enough education, then we're going to move into giving them tools to manage it and put it back under their control. Um, So before we talk about the tools for management, we just want to mention some of those signs, some of those early signs, those red flags that tell us, hmm, maybe my client is dissociating. Maybe this is a pattern for them. So Jen, what are the kinds of things that you usually see? A lot of times it's very subtle and it's things that could be related to other causes as well. So they're not necessarily a definite, oh, this means they're dissociating, but they're just red flags that we might keep in mind, make note of. Um, But if a client starts yawning frequently Mm -hmm. during their reprocessing, Mm -hmm. um, maybe they're tired, but it also could be a sign of dissociation. Mm -hmm. Staring off into space, if you're doing eye movements and you notice that they're not tracking with your fingers frequently, they kind of get stuck in the tracking and just stare Um, Or if you're doing bilateral and you just kind of see like a glazed over look over their face, um, if you're doing it tactile, maybe blinking frequently, um, rapid talking, Mm -hmm. even um, processing verbally that doesn't really connect or seem to have a flow or make a lot of sense. So some small things like that that may give you an indication that dissociation could be happening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, And then there's some EMDR-specific signs, and you mentioned a few of these, but one of the big ones is um, if things are kind of getting intense in a reprocessing session and, you know, you do another set of bilateral stimulation, you ask, what do you notice? And they say nothing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, wait a second, uh, you were just like really upset just a second ago. Had some clients just say nothing, it just went black. Like Mm -hmm. they'll be processing and it just goes away. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And of course, you know, there is the possibility that it actually processed out. Um, But if it moves that quickly and kind of in in such a abrupt way that we weren't anticipating or that really doesn't seem like it's going with the flow of of usual processing, it may be that that material got dissociated. Um, Now, a kind of tricky thing about dissociation and EMDR is that sometimes 
When someone is processing, they are processing the dissociation that they experienced at the time of the trauma, Mm -hmm. but that's different than dissociating in this present moment. Now, they can happen at the same time where they were dissociated when the trauma was happening and they're still dissociating now. But sometimes we start to see some of these red flags, but when we check in with the client, they're still within the window of tolerance. Um, They still are tracking with us. They're oriented to this present moment and feeling okay. And if that's occurring, it may be that their brain and their body are working through the sensations of the way they dissociated at the time. And if that's the case, we would just keep going and monitoring closely. Um, I might shorten the sets a little bit, not go as long and check in a little more frequently to monitor them more closely. But in the same way that the body has to work out the sensations of high anxiety in the past uh, for the past memory, sometimes it has to work out the sensations of dissociation. So that can be kind of a tricky thing to always tease apart exactly what is what. But it's important thing. It's an important thing to know that that can happen when we're reprocessing with someone. Um, so some other EMDR specific signs are when we're in the midst of reprocessing. Um, that suddenly the client really changes affect. And that starts to point more to the DID possibility. And we're going to talk about DID, I promise, in a minute. Um, And then probably in a whole other episode, because that's a completely different ball of wax when it comes to uh, the spectrum of dissociation. Um, But that certainly is something that can happen during EMDR reprocessing. And uh, reprocessing is one of the times where that's really going to come out if that's present for a client. Um, So I just want to say right there that if that happens and if it feels pretty sudden and abrupt to you, that may be a time to try to contain and ground them and have a conversation about what just happened and what's going on before just proceeding um, with reprocessing. It's also really normal that these clients may come in and as we're taking their history and we're getting to know them, they tell us a lot that they're not real sure if their memories are real or not that they feel pretty hazy about what actually happened and how it happened. And I don't know if I'm just making this up. I don't know if it really happened this way. They really doubt their own memories. That is often a sign that they had a lot of dissociation in their history, which means they still might have it going on now. So in that case, I spend extra time in both the history taking phase and the preparation phase to make sure that I have a good idea of what's going on for them, but also have a good plan of how we're going to manage that dissociation if and when it shows up in the reprocessing phases. Um, So Jen, any other thoughts on kind of EMDR specific signs that you notice? Well, just to follow up with that, not, you know, clients not being sure if it's real, we can still target and reprocess Hmm, those things, whether they're real or not. So if their memory stores it in a certain format, even if there's no facts to support that that is a reality, that still could be a target. um, And they may need to process and work through that as their memory stored it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's a really good point. So how do we explain the phenomenon of dissociation to clients? Because this is one of the weirder symptoms that people with a lot of trauma experience, and it can be pretty confusing, disconcerting. You know, Jen mentioned how there can be a lot of shame associated with it. Um, So one of the first things that we want to say to clients is that everybody dissociates. This is a normal human activity. And there is really a spectrum of dissociation from the normal stuff that everybody does almost every day. An example of that would be, you know, you're driving in your car and you get distracted thinking about something else and you miss your turn 
and you're three streets down before you realize, oops. And I do that all the time. Right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Anybody that's a mom uh-huh. well, and a lot of other people for that matter too, um, we do. And that's a version of dissociation. We're not grounded in this present moment. We're not paying attention to what we're doing. And, you know, our thoughts and our mind are taking us somewhere else. Um, and that, you know, has an impact on our current moment experience. And that is dissociation. But it's not harmful dissociation. Mm -hmm. You know, it may cost us a few extra minutes to turn around and get to where we're going. And if it's happening every five minutes, we might be concerned. But if it's happening every once in a while, that's very normal. That's part of the human experience. And frankly, it's really quite a great gift because our brains need a break. Our bodies need a break. And dissociation is one of the ways that we give ourselves a break sometimes. Anybody that has ever been binge watched anything on Netflix for an entire <laughs> evening or maybe even an entire day is familiar with the benefits of a little constructive dissociation. I think when we can lay it out like that to our clients, it's just this huge relief mm-hmm. of I'm not crazy and I'm right. not, you know, right. I'm not broken. There's not something wrong with me. So if we can just as simply as Melissa just explained it here in the podcast, use that same kind of language and lighthearted nature to introduce it to our clients and start talking about it and then be able to shift from that into sharing some of the examples of what it might be like if it's more moderate or more severe mm-hmm. um, types of dissociation and giving examples like, you know, you may feel a disconnection between your mind and your body and not feel like there's a link in those two. You might feel kind of foggy or your memories may be fuzzy. You may feel like you're in a dreamlike state, mm-hmm. um, even questioning and doubting, you know, am I real? Is the world around me real? difficulty verbalizing, um, speaking, things like that would be indications of maybe a more moderate to severe type of dissociation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, if they are indicating that, yes, they do experience some of those more moderate symptoms, then we might start asking about the more severe symptoms like blackouts, amnesia. Um, You know, do they ever feel much younger than they actually are, you know, kind of getting at that idea of, is there potentially DID happening here? Or at least a really um, strong dissociated element of their personality, even if it isn't full-blown DID. Um, Another big one that I, you know, see with almost everybody that has severe dissociative patterns is that they'll have a loss of physical sensation in some part of their body. Um, And, you know, things like their hands will feel numb mm-hmm. or their body will feel much bigger or smaller than it actually is. Um, and that is a really disconcerting experience for clients. This is this is the level at which they start to feel like, oh my gosh, I think I'm going crazy. And they'll come in saying that, you know, I think I'm losing my mind. Something's really wrong. The other one that is a, a severe example that we all need to remember and know about is that people that dissociate can hear voices. Um, But this is not the same thing as schizophrenia. It's a dissociative response. And one of the ways that we tease that apart and do a rule out is we're asking questions about the source of those voices. Do they sound like your voice that's coming from the inside? Does it sound like a voice from your memories of an experience that you've had in your past? That would be the more dissociative version of hearing things versus does it sound like a voice that you don't know? Does it sound like a persecutory uh, voice that, sh- you know, you can't identify it as a person that you've ever actually known in your life? 
Um, that kind of stuff is going to help us get more of the, the schizophrenic um, version of hearing voices and the, the more auditory hallucinations. This can be a little bit tricky, so we want to ask a lot of questions and do a good job of ruling out and trying to discern which one is which. But just remember that if somebody comes in saying, I'm hearing things, I think I'm schizophrenic, don't automatically assume that because there's voices that that's what is happening. Um, we want to ask a lot of questions and figure out if there's a, another explanation for it before we send them to a psychiatrist where they will likely be heavily medicated, right? That's a big deal. Um, now, w when I'm doing that with a client and having those conversations and trying to rule it out, I tend to be pretty straightforward and honest with them without freaking them out, right? But because we're trying to do a rule out for something as significant as schizophrenia, I want them to know that this is potentially an option and that they always have the right to talk with a psychiatrist about that. Um, because I don't always feel like I, you know, it's okay for me to be the one to say, oh no, absolutely, you don't have schizophrenia. Right. Don't worry about that, right? So we want to give them the right to talk to uh, somebody else and get more information um, and talk about medication for that if needed. Um, a lot of times when they learn the other symptoms of dissociation too, mm -hmm. it's like the pieces all come together. They didn't realize that the fact that their legs go completely numb, mm -hmm. that that could be dissociation or the That's fact really they point. question if they're real. Right. Um, and then you kind of start putting it all together and it, it makes this whole puzzle that they understand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's so true. Um, another thing that we can share with clients is just a couple of, you know, simple analogies and examples. Um, one of the ones that I use a lot is the possum playing dead and how adaptive and helpful that is for a possum. We would have much fewer possums in the world if they didn't know how to do that. Um, and we kind of have a moment of gratitude that our bodies still know how to play dead when they need to, because it's part of how we survive. And so I'll share that with uh, clients if, if I think it'll be helpful to them. The other one um, that we can share is that dissociation is a part of the very natural fight, flight, and freeze response. Usually dissociation is part of the freeze response. Um, but there's actually versions of it that also present as fight or flight, especially when we get into um, the stronger end of the spectrum where alter aspects of personality and things like DID, where these emotions and these responses are very sectioned off, but still come out sometimes. Um, but that is all part of that fight and flight and freeze response that's all designed to protect them. And so when we're educating them about this, what we really want to do is frame this all in terms of this is your protection system, and we are not going to be dismantling your protection system without making sure that there is something else in place that is going to do a really good and effective job for you. Um, it is unethical and really unwise for us to start getting rid of the dissociation before we have a plan of what they're going to do instead and really making sure that they're used to using those other skills and they're working for them. Um, if we don't do that well, that's when we get uh, susceptible to clients flooding and destabilizing because we're moving too quickly um, without considering what else they might need in order to be prepared. So those are just some things that we usually share with clients that we find really helpful. So guys, let's let's switch gears just here for a moment and take a break and focus on something a little more lighthearted and then we'll come oh, back. Are we going to talk about Katie? Yes. Oh, I'm very excited. Okay. Yes. So as you have probably noticed, Melissa and I are kind of on a business venture right now, <laughs> <laughs> expanding and doing a lot of new, exciting things. And we have been working with this amazing lady named Catherine Keller. 
Um, she has helped us with all of our marketing aspects and kind of building and expanding our businesses. She's worked in the past with hundreds of different small business clients actually around all over the world. And she's also been a contributing writer for Entrepreneur Magazine. So mm-hmm. she's got great credentials. She has a lot of experience And she focuses in on um, teaching small business owners how to work smarter, not harder, which has been so important for (laughs) Melissa and I as we've been doing this, because there's just the ongoing, never-ending task list of what to do. And so she's helped us to really get that organized and focus in on how to be more efficient in all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, She's great at understanding that our to-do lists um, are already a mile long. And helping to show us how to get it automated, make things simple, give us different shortcuts. Mm -hmm. So I have just loved, um, in addition to that, her ability to be so kind and supportive and encouraging in our business while still being really direct and Mm -hmm. to the point Mm -hmm. and keeping me on task. (laughs) Sometimes that is a feat in of itself. So her approach is so wonderful. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, one of the things that I've thought about a lot is for therapists and, you know, other healer types that want to be in business for ourselves and we want to, you know, be our own boss and do all that stuff and not just work for an agency. Um, I, you know, there's not really a business class in therapy school. Yeah, there should be. <laughs> there really should be. And so I don't know about you, but I came out of school with the plan of being a business owner, I wanted to do that, but I didn't know the first thing about anything. Um, and I think what I've loved about working with Katie is that it's really kind of helped me learn to think like a business owner um, and also as a therapist and really kind of merging those two parts of our life and our personalities and how all of that can work together. Um, and I think that uh, for me, that's just been a huge relief to have somebody to kind of guide us through that process because it would have been much messier otherwise. So, and I uh, think too, even you know, as you whether you're in private practice, kind of going out of the business approach, or maybe you work for an agency and you have a small practice kind of on the side. Mm-hmm. She is so great at just taking over a lot of these tasks and making it so much more efficient where you could balance the two. As I, I know, working in private practice, or excuse me, in an agency trying to get started on this side felt like there are not nearly enough hours mm-hmm. in the day to do this. Mm-hmm. So kind of on both of those directions, I think she's could be really, really helpful. Yeah, agreed. So for our podcast listeners, Catherine has opened up some limited spots for a free marketing assessment for your business or your potential business if you're looking at getting started. So if you feel completely overwhelmed and have no idea where to begin, she can help you. Uh, She'll help you gain clarity with a step-by-step plan on how to maximize marketing to fit your practice, your personality, and your budget. Um, Normally, Catherine charges for her initial consultation, so this is a really great free opportunity for our listeners to learn how to reduce your sense of overwhelm and build your practice. So there's limited spots available, so it's based on first come, first serve, so make sure and get in touch quickly. You can visit katherinekeller.net slash EMDR to reserve your free marketing assessment. So that's C-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E-K-E-L-L-E-R dot net slash EMDR, and that'll get you to Catherine, who has helped us so much. Melissa, I don't know if I heard you wrong or if you spoke wrong, but I... K-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E-K-E-L-L-E-R dot net backslash E-M-D-R. Okay. 
Thank you. Just to make sure. Just in case I said the wrong thing, because it's very possible that I did. Speaking of overwhelm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so we wanted to share that with you today. And uh, so getting back to dissociation and um, how we think about that and conceptualize that with our clients, one of the things that you need to do is consider what kind of bilateral stimulation you're going to use with them. So what we have found and what the um, research is supporting is that for a lot of these folks, eye movements are going to be better than tapping. That is not universally true, but the consideration there is that with the eye movements, um, they're more distracting. They require more focus from the client, which means they are more present oriented, which for somebody that dissociates is a really good thing. If somebody has a habit of getting too sucked into the past, too sucked into the memory, then um, keeping them focused on the here and now through those eye movements is going to be really, really helpful for them. The eye movements also give us as therapists kind of a window into what's going on for the client Mm -hmm. that we don't get if we're using tactile and they close their eyes. True. um, We get to notice if their eyes stop shifting, um, if they get stuck. If they get the the glassed over look or um, we get to see a little bit more. So it's not absolutely critical, but I would say that's a really important starting place unless, you know, eye movements just aren't successful and then shifting over into another form. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It took me a lot of years to invest in getting a light bar because, you know, they're expensive. Um, But the reason that I did was for my clients that dissociate. And I was really, really glad that I did. It's made a big difference for them. Another thing, um, this is a really great resource that we've talked about before. It's the book by Jim Knipe called the EMDR Toolbox. And in that book, he teaches a method called the CIPOS method or um, simpler, the back of the head method. And this is a tool for teaching clients how to monitor, measure, and communicate about their dissociation Um, that is happening in session and also in between sessions. So if you have that book, go look it up. If not, I highly recommend that you get it. But here's the basic summary of what the back of the head method is. If you hold your hand, your physical hand, out in front of your face as far as you can with your fingertips pointed up to the sky, the tips of your fingers represent being 100% present in this moment. And moving back down your arm, down your shoulder, and then to the back of your head. At the point where the back of your head is represents zero awareness of this present moment. And what I share with clients is that's when we get so dissociated and so gone that we're non-responsive. And in some cases, some people might even black out. Okay. So that's the scale. 100% in this present moment is at my fingertips back of my head, I'm completely gone. I'm not talking to you. I'm not responding to my environment at all. And what I say is most people do not live at the tip of their fingers, right? Very few of us are 100% focused in this present moment and certainly not all the time. So most of us hang around in like the hand wrist region and EMDR reprocessing can be incredibly effective in that region. As long as we're staying in the like 70, 80, 90% present, Um, we're doing pretty good. And as we slip back further on that scale, so what I tell clients is when we get back in the elbow region and we're at about 50%, that's when things could kind of go either way, right? So what I tell them is if you are slipping backwards and you get past your wrist and you're headed towards your elbow, I want you to tell me right away. 
not because anything bad is happening, but so that we can decide together if we need to do something to get you a little bit more grounded before we move forward. Um, this is also helpful for clients to monitor in between sessions. You get a lot of information. If you ask people to do this periodically throughout the day and they come back and say, Oh, I'm at like 50% all the time. Um, and if they come back and tell me that I'm thinking we're definitely doing some extended preparation before we move forward. Um, but this is a really simple, but effective strategy for helping people communicate about dissociation that's happening. Um, and the other nice thing about this is say, you know, things get pretty rough and we kind of lose somebody in a memory. Hopefully this doesn't happen very often. If we're doing a good job and preparing people well, it shouldn't be happening regularly, but try as we might every once in a while, it might happen. So if somebody gets incredibly dissociated in a session with us, often one of the first things that happens is they have a hard time verbalizing. Like Jen mentioned, speech is one of the first things to go. Um, so having this kind of scale, it means that they can communicate to us where they are as far as their dissociation goes without using any words. They can point to where they are on their arm. If they're having trouble moving, I can point and say, you know, are you here? Are you here? Are you here? And all they have to do is nod their head. If they can't give me an answer and say where they are, that is an indication to me that we are like way past the elbow or in shoulder region and we really, really need to intervene right away. And I'm going to move very quickly um, to get them back oriented to the present moment. So I teach that to everybody um, that has any symptoms of dissociation. I just find it really, really helpful. There's a lot of tools we can use um, while we're actually processing with the clients too that help keep them grounded and present. <clears throat> so some things that I will offer to clients would be something to fidget within their hands, mm -hmm. silly putty, uh, maybe lotion to rub on. Worry stones. Worry stones. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes inviting them to bring in their own items, especially if it's something that um, brings them a sense of like calm and comfort. Um, something scented in the room, whether you do essential oils or again, like a scented lotion, um, anything that activates their senses, bringing in comfort items like blankets, stuffed animals, pillows, something, you know, hoodies, sweatshirts, um, something fuzzy, anything that brings them that stimulation that kind of keeps them in the present. I've even had people bring in their pets. Mm -hmm. So dogs oh, yeah. are really good safety that keep grounded, um, kind of keep them aware. I talk to clients about, you know, we want to keep one foot in the present and one foot in the, you know, as we're noticing and reprocessing one foot in and one foot out. And so asking them whatever it is that helps them keep a foot here in the present, sucking on a peppermint, a piece of candy, mm -hmm. anything that activates the senses. And sometimes it's multiple things at once yep. are really good tools for keeping them grounded. Yep. That's really true. So some of you might be wondering if there are tools and assessments to use that do a good job of screening for dissociation. The answer is a little bit complicated. The simple answer is yes. Uh, one of the main ones that gets used is the DES2, the Dissociative Experiences Scale, the second edition of that. Um, and it has people rate common dissociative experiences on a scale based on the percentage of time that they experience these things in their life. Um, it can be really effective. What I have found just from my own personal experience though, is that if somebody has a lot of trauma in their history and they are dissociating, this can be a little bit overactivating and triggering to them. So we're going to get information, but not in a way that I always feel really comfortable with. 
So the way that I tend to use the DES is I, I have a copy of the questions. And rather than sitting there and reading through the questions one by one and having them rate them over and over, I do it in more of a conversational style and say, you know, do you ever, you know, feel something like this? Does this come up? Um, and keep it a lot more gentle. And it may take a few sessions for me to ask all those questions. That is a lot more supportive and gentle to our clients rather than just running down this list and having them answer, you know, several questions right in a row. Um, another option is the, the mid, um, the MID, and both of these are online. You can find these, um, the, the struggle that I have with the mid is it's 218 questions. So I don't know about you guys, but it's long. long. And by the time we get through 218 questions, um, specifically about trauma and dissociation, and it gets like real specific, I mean, really specific. So I use this very judiciously. And once again, I don't sit down and do it all in one row. Now, if you're in a setting where you have to have these assessments early on, you know, there's certain agency situations and things like that, um, where you have to do this at a certain point in the program, there are ways to try to keep our clients stable and uh, not flooded, but still get the information we need. So just really keep in mind, if you have to use these tools, how much support can you be offering and how can you take your clients through this as gently as you can to try to avoid that triggering because um, we don't want one of their first associations with us in our office and the experience to be 218 questions about your trauma, right? Like that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. And I think the reality is that the clients who do dissociate aren't going to want to report those right. to be true. And right. so they'll minimize or, you know, try to kind of hide a little bit. And or those, they may not know because right. after all, dissociation means they have blocks there. Yeah. And so it, it's not always valid. Like the mm-hmm. results that we get are not always valid. And those clients who don't dissociate read the questions and start questioning. And if, mm-hmm. if they do, and they get <laughs> panicked and freaked out. So um, I think, I really do think there is benefit to the tools. It's just about utilizing them if they're necessary in the right approach, the right timing, um, and not just staying too rigid to, you know, old school, hand the assessment, let them answer the questions and score it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Another thing about working with clients with dissociation is knowing when it's time to refer. Um, Now, of course, there is no rule to follow here because all of us are at different levels in terms of years of practice, um, training, expertise, et cetera. So the main thing here is to really consider, are you working within your scope of practice, your level of expertise? And if you find yourself in a situation, because this happens, this is how I got to be so practiced at uh, dissociation and DID, because we all start without having any expertise, Right. right? So how do we get there? What happens to a lot of us is that we're well into many sessions with a client and then suddenly it's like, oh, this is what's going on. So ethically, do we refer after we have built all that rapport, after they feel safe with us, after we've done all of this work, or do we hurry up and get help, right? So a lot of times that's how we run into dissociative uh, symptoms with our client is that we have done a lot of work already and then suddenly this is coming up. In that case, our recommendation is that you get consultation. There are several therapists um, and EMDR trainers and advanced trainers that this is an area of specialty for them. There's a lot of books. If you guys don't know who Sandra Paulson is, fix that right away. Um, She has a couple of books that uh, are just really, really excellent. 
um, Jim Knight, but I highly recommend him. And there's a lot more that I, you know, cannot exhaustively list. Um, but if you do a little Google searching, you will find a lot of good materials about this. So number one, get yourself more educated. Um, there are also, you know, live trainings and webinars that you can do. The Andrea conference, conference almost always has a session or two about this because it is such an important population. If you run into somebody that has DID, meaning they're on that very severe end um, of the spectrum, and you don't have any experience with treating DID, I highly recommend that you refer, even if you have already gotten relatively far into your relationship with someone. Um, just because it is such a highly specialized population, and that is a very long-term process uh, for people to work through that, and uh, we need to make sure that they're with a therapist that is going to be able to walk with them effectively through that whole process. So really, really consider if that is the diagnosis that you're dealing with, you may need to refer at that point. And some of you may have experience or other trainings in working with DID, but not specifically EMDR with that population. And so if that's the case, but you feel well-equipped and still working with them, I think, as Melissa was mentioning, get consultation, take some advanced training specific with EMDR mm -hmm. and DID. I wouldn't feel as concerned about you continuing to work with them, but just make sure you're kind of brushing up on how do we utilize EMDR because it's not standard protocol. Right. It's it will be adapted. Very mm -hmm. highly adapted, whether that's in the form of adapting the resources that we use or in the form of changing the pacing or even utilizing completely different protocols and interventions mm -hmm. with EMDR to work with this client. So it definitely won't be taking your knowledge already and merging it with standard protocol, but get some specific training on how to adapt what you're doing with EMDR therapy with those clients. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, another thing, and you know, we mentioned this earlier, but it's just really, really relevant for this population. There's a lot of times when we're working with these folks that uh, we're not real clear on whether what we're processing actually happened or not. You do a lot of symbolic processing with dissociation because their memories were not stored in the normal way. Trauma memories are, you know, stored weirdly anyway, but then you add dissociation on top of that. And what we have left to work with is still very workable. We can do it, but we kind of have to let go of this idea that we're going to know exactly what's going on. Um, and we're going to do a lot more symbolic processing. So because of that, um, part of their extended preparation phase, we really recommend that you do some lower level targets that are not going to get into all of that trauma and really help them practice and help you practice and get to know how their system uh, processes, what interweaves are helpful for, for them, um, and work on that before you get into those bigger memories, because that's where things can get a little bit messy, a lot more unclear, a lot more symbolic. So when we're working with them, we just want to factor that in. All right, Melissa. So as we kind of wrap things up for today, I do want to share with you guys that we are currently planning our training calendar for 2020. Yes, we are. We would love to hear from you guys. If any of you are interested in hosting or attending an EMDR basic training, 
Melissa and I are approved trainers through the EMDR Training Center, and we've had the opportunity of providing instruction at these trainings all over the country. We've been to Chicago, um, South Carolina, St. Louis, Mm -hmm. Kansas City. Of course, we've been in our hometown, Springfield. So if you have a group that's interested in getting trained together, we're willing to travel to you to do those trainings. Um, We offer a comprehensive basic training that's completed in five days. And part of the training and registration actually includes your follow-up 10 hours of consultation that are required. And we do that through teleconferencing after the training instruction is completed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So send us an email. We would love to come hang out with you wherever you are. Yes. (laughs) Um, So for more information about our trainings, you can look at our website, beyondhealingcenter.com, or email us at training at beyondhealingcenter.com. And we'll get y'all the the details that you need about uh, making a decision whether you're ready to do a training with us or not. So thank you guys so much for uh, being with us today and listening in. And we will see you in a couple of weeks. Take care. Thanks for listening to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. We hope something you've heard today will help you help your clients. Find our latest episode and more on our Facebook page or on our website, emdr-podcast.com. And don't forget to add us to your RSS feed or follow us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher so that you don't miss an episode. Please email questions and comments to notice that at emdr-podcast.com. From all of us here at Notice That, see you next time. Notice That.